I invite you to turn with me in your Bibles just for a few moments this evening. We'll get started in Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And as you're turning, just allow me to, to share this reality. We in Dubuque, Iowa, in one given week, had more snow than in the recorded history of Dubuque. We had over 30 inches, I think 32 inches of snow. The wind chill was ridiculous for longer than we would ever like to imagine, think, or report. But it has been incredibly chilly, and uh, uh, winter is, is definitely upon us. Our November and, and December were mild. And I remember saying to Kate, January is coming. And February is coming. We have been hit hard. And so it's easy for me to think about our subject matter for the weekend because uh, physically it has been right outside. Our theme for the weekend, does anybody recall? It's been advertised. I know some of you, we've been together this week and you're familiar with it, although we didn't look at this text together. Our theme for the weekend is simply this, how to avoid spiritual frostbite how to avoid spiritual frostbite in 2024 and i want to ask you it's a friday night we've had busy weeks i'm sure we probably have had a nice meal and we could even slumber a little bit in this comfortable room together and so i'm going to get you to be involved a little bit and so i want to ask you to help me think about physical frostbite physical frostbite when you think about physical frostbite what attributes or characteristics or even conditions would, uh, would be such? What comes to mind when you think about physical frostbite? Anyone? Pain. Pain is involved, no doubt. Any other? You can't move. You cannot move. Uh, mobility is hindered. That's good. What else comes to mind when you think about the reality of physical frostbite? Numbness. Numbness comes to mind, doesn't it? The, the loss of feeling or sensation. Being numb, being cold, being desensitized comes to mind. Uh, sometimes uh, the loss of body parts. The loss not only of feeling, the loss not only of sensation, but the loss of other things as well comes to mind uh, with physical frostbite. Do any of you know the name Dan and Annie Johnson, missionaries to Burundi? You know that name. I'm, I'm, I'm sure many of you do. Uh, what a wonderful ministry they have. They all have connection. To, they have connection to Emmaus Bible College. I remember when Danny was a student and I was the dean of students and we had an event called Winterfest. And it's just like it sounds, Winterfest. We would do all kinds of fun activities. Sometimes we wouldn't have classes we divide the student body up into teams and have competition, and it was, it was a, a lot of fun. And Danny grew up in Africa, and Danny was accustomed to warmer temperatures, and he was used to not wearing shoes. Danny was enthusiastically involved in one of the Winterfest competitions and did not have his shoes on and went outside to compete barefooted and got stuck outside for longer than he would have liked. He didn't lose any toes or any body parts, but his feet were hurt, hurting, 
hurting for certain, we sometimes say. Uncomfortable, burning, itching occurs sometimes with the reality of physical frostbite. Whenever I think of frostbite, I think of that time during Winterfest. We have been paying attention to winter alerts, wind chill alerts, and they often would say, be advised of the reality and risk of frostbite. And so it makes sense for a lot of reasons and a lot of ways for us as we get together every January, ideally, Lord willing, the last weekend, to think of a subject matter that is easy to relate to in light of the time of year, frostbite. But spiritual frostbite is a completely different animal. Some of the same symptoms, being cold, being numb, being desensitized, the loss of feeling, the loss of the ability to see and to hear and to understand the things of God and what he would have for us. When I was a student, uh, 1991, reminisce with me for a moment, 1991, I started my educational uh, career at Dallas Seminary. I had just graduated from Emmaus Bible College, was continuing my biblical higher education at DTS, and it was orientation weekend. And during that weekend, uh, or during orientation, probably on a Monday, actually Tuesday, no classes on Monday at Uh, Dallas Seminary, we were given an orientation packet and there was a little brochure, I still have it, entitled How to Avoid Spiritual Frostbite. You see the administration and the enrollment services department and the academic department as well, they collaborated and determined, you know, we need to warn these students These who are just starting in the seminary experience, we need to warn them about what can happen in settings like this, settings like a seminary campus and classroom and environment, how easy it is to become spiritually frostbitten because of concepts like pride and arrogance, and ego, and self-reliance, and independence, and self-confidence, and all those sorts of things. And so I loved the warning that I received. And it's a temptation in all settings, isn't it, to become spiritually frostbitten, to think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think. And so in our time together, I'd like to look at a few test cases of where a frostbite-like condition is identified in Scripture and also try to look at some remedies. How can we avoid these conditions? And so we'll do that from the New Testament tonight. We'll do that from the Old Testament tomorrow and a bit of a combination, Lord willing, on Sunday as well. Hebrews chapter 5. We find in Hebrews chapter 5, beginning in verse 11 and going through all of chapter 6, we find one of the warnings. One of the warnings, and really it does describe a spiritually frostbit-like condition, uh, beginning in verse 11. This is a great section. A great section, and the author of Hebrews, whomever it might be, if my dad were with us, he would say definitively that it's Barnabas. 
Um, uh, he would say that almost every time uh, he'd open the book of Hebrews. Uh, but there's, uh, there's some uncertainty. So regardless of the human author, we know the Holy Spirit uh, superintended the recording of this through servants that were led by the Holy Spirit. The author is warning the children of Israel specifically, us by way of practical application, to not miss how great the Lord Jesus Christ is. What was the temptation for the Hebrews? The book of Hebrews, what's it all about? What were they being tempted to do ultimately? Anybody want to help with that one? The temptation was to go back, go back to an old way, an old system, having been saved, justified, just like Abraham, having been justified, declared righteous by faith, now no longer under the law, Their temptation was to go back to what they were familiar with in the system that they came out of. And the author of Hebrews does an incredible job of saying, you know what? Jesus Christ is better. Jesus Christ is the best. He's better than the angels. He's better than Moses. He is the greatest high priest after the order of Melchizedek. And so he's writing to this group of people saying, I know this is different, and I know it's not like the system you came out of, but this one is so much better because this one has at its core the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Hebrews is all about, the the fact that Christ is supreme. He's better. There's also several warnings in the book of Hebrews, and we find one of those here. And he says this, having just talked about in in verse 10, the fact that Christ is our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Look at 9 and 10 of chapter 5. And having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation, being designated by God as a high priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then the warning. The warning is this idea of don't be spiritually frostbit, don't be stagnant, don't be stuck in a place where you are not maturing, you are not growing, you are not developing. And so he brings this warning about their condition. It really is a a frostbit-like condition. Notice it with me. Concerning him, concerning whom? Help me. It's Friday night. Let's get involved. Concerning whom? Jesus, our great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, verse 9 and 10, he says in verse 11, concerning him, concerning Jesus, our great high priest, after the order of Melchizedek, the author of Hebrews says, I and we have much to say. Concerning him, the Lord Jesus, we have much to say. Let me just ask you this question tonight. Is that true of you? Is it true of you that you could say with the author of Hebrews concerning Jesus Christ, I want you to know something. I could go on and on. Is that true of you? Concerning him, concerning the Lord Jesus, our great high priest after the order of Melchizedek, who is better, who is better, who is better. I just want to go on and on. Concerning him, we have much to say. Is that true of you? 
Could you just go on and on and on and on about the beauty and the splendor and the majesty of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ? He says to this group of people, there's a problem. There's a problem with you. I want to go on and on. We want to go on and on and say more and more about how great the Lord Jesus Christ is, our high priest after the order of Melchizedek. But he, he says this. It's hard for me to explain. It's hard for me to explain. I want to. I'd love to talk more and more and more with you about how great Jesus Christ is. That's the whole point of the book. Don't go back. Remain faithful. Be warned. Christ is better. We see all those themes. But he says there's a problem. And the problem is this. You have become dull of hearing. You have become dull of hearing. Can you imagine? Now, the phrase dull of hearing is one that we ought to spend just a little bit of time uh, considering. It's really an example of someone who's spiritually frostbitten. Literally, it means this. It means heavy in the ears. Heavy in the ears. Dull of hearing. It's no mystery. If you are a Glock man, there are two things that will likely come your way. Some early in life and some later in life. One is that you will be blessed with big ears. I've got them. I've accepted it. In acceptance lieth peace. Also baldness, right? That's just part of the reality. I remember when Katie was pregnant with Anna Kate and we did ultrasounds. Um, I remember asking. I'm not kidding you. I remember asking. Can you, can you tell me, does she have big ears? I was just curious. You know, it's a Glock thing. Thankfully, she was not endowed like I am or my dad was or my uncle or my grandfather. Um, Anyway, I digress. The phrase dull of hearing literally means heavy in the ears. It's the idea of this. I am not listening. I do not hear you. And matter of fact, I don't want to hear you. I've heard it already. I know enough. I don't have to know anymore. I don't have to grow anymore. I'm fine where I am. You know anybody like that? Have you ever been there? It's really a spiritually frostbite condition. Concerning him, we have so much we want to say. There's more, there's more, there's more. There's so much we should say and can say about the Lord Jesus. But it's hard for us to explain to you right now because you have become heavy in the ears. You have become dull of hearing. And we see what has gone wrong. Notice how it continues in in, in verse 12. For though by this time, for though by this time, I want to say something just briefly about time. And I was thinking of this not long ago. Uh, talked to my mother-in-law about it. Uh, about the time, I think, when uh, my father-in-law passed away uh, after a, a significant battle with pancreatic cancer. We were in Green Bay. I think it was probably the year after. And it was snowy, and we weren't able to go out to church on that particular Sunday. It was right around the new year, and so we were 
We were listening uh, to a message on the radio. And the question that was raised by uh, Erwin Lutzer is this question. He asked this question, and I haven't forgotten. It's a great one for us to consider. He asked this question, how will you spend, how will you spend your 1440? How will you spend your 1440? And then he went through this exercise. Imagine this. Imagine every day you are given $1,440. Every day. Seriously, right? Every day, $1,440. Here's the catch. You have to do something with it by midnight. Spend it. Invest it. Give it away, neglect it, forget about it, whatever the case might be, every day you're given this 1440 and you've got to use it. You can't take it over to the next day. And so Lutzer was asking a question at the beginning of the year. How will you spend your 1440? Some people right now would say, you know, I could pay off some debt. Some people might be saying, you know what, I would love to go shopping. Some people would say there's a ministry I want to support or I know that I can I can invest this money. But others, we would have a tendency to after a while forget forget. To take care of that 1440 that particular day, maybe the next day we'll think about the 1440 for that day. And so some of you have already figured out, and some of you know, the reality is this. 1,440 represents the number of minutes in a day. What a great question Erwin Lutzer raised. How are you going to spend your 1440? Now, they say you're supposed to get eight hours of sleep every day. Who does that? Anybody get eight hours of sleep? I would, I would. Love that experience. Eight hours of sleep. So if that's true, we're already under a thousand, right? 1440, 480 for eight hours, right? And so what do we do with the rest of the minutes that we have in that particular day? Do you ever get reports on your cell phone? Your cell phone usage is up this week. Anybody ever get those reports? Or your cell phone usage is down. I love those. But you can get reports of how much you use your phone. You can find out. They say that children today spend, young people today spend anywhere from five to seven hours on some form of social media every day. I would suggest that's not a good use of one's 1440. How will you spend your 1440? Time is something that we know is a gift. Scripture describes it as a vapor, as breath-like. James tells us that. The psalmist tells us that. And it's a gift. Are you guaranteed your next breath? Will you be here tomorrow for sure? If the Lord wills, we will do this and we will do that. Life is a vapor. It's brief. And so the author of Hebrews, you know what he's trying to get the those that are heavy in the ears to consider. He's trying to get those who are heavy in the ears, who are dull of hearing, to think about how much time they have wasted because of their spiritually frostbit condition.
It doesn't necessarily say why their attitude was such. Uh, it does tell us a little bit more as we look at the text what they did not do over the years. How will you spend your 1440? I would love for you to do a little math with me. I would love for you to think about uh, the age that you trusted in Christ as your Savior. Can you think of that? I was approximately eight years of age. Eight years of age. I'm 55. So my number, salvifically, the number of years I've known the Lord Jesus Christ as my Savior, is 47. I'm going to ask you this question tonight. You don't have to shout it out. You can say it later or, or, or say it now if you want to. What's your number? I, what was that? 48. 48. Others, I'm sure you can do the math, right? 40. 40. Somebody say something? Three? Did I hear three? Three. I love that. Others? Don't be shy. 52. 52. Years representing how long you have known the Savior. I used to play sports. You'll have to take that by faith. My favorite was probably football. I remember my number. My number in football was 56. I remember my number in baseball. I remember my number in basketball. I remember my uniform numbers. And tonight I'm asking you to think about your number in regards to how long you've known the Lord. You know what the author of Hebrews does here? He says, you know what, by this time, enough time has gone by that you ought to be teaching somebody else. Enough time has gone by. There's a problem. You haven't used your 1440 well. You've been dull of hearing. You don't want to hear it. You don't want to listen for whatever reason. You're not growing in God's goodness and grace because of this spiritually frostbit reality. And he says, by this time, this ought to be the reality. Look at verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, enough time has gone by that you have known the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, that you ought to be able to teach others the truth of God's Word. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need, it says again, for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. Time marches on. And as time has been marching on, you have not been using it wisely, the author of Hebrews says. And so because of that reality, because you have neglected to continue to grow in God's goodness and grace, you need to go back to Sunday school. You need to go back to Sunday school and have somebody teach you again the ABCs, the Elementary principles of the oracles of God. I went to Pleasant Lane Elementary School. It would be absolutely painful and difficult and hilarious for me to go back to Mrs. Tira's class in kindergarten and sit in a little circle, or Mrs. Hansen's class in third grade, and try to squeeze into one of those desks. She had the worst breath imaginable, Mrs. Hansen. 
No kidding. Imagine the reality of going back to elementary school and how ridiculous that would be at your age. That's what the author says. I want to talk to you about Jesus. I want to go on and on about Jesus. I want to talk to you about our great high priest. Concerning him, there is so much that we have to say. But it's hard for us to explain. It's hard to explain because you have become dull of hearing. You're heavy in the ears. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Imagine tomorrow, okay? Imagine tomorrow we gather together, we have another session, and we have a meal together, and and Mickey comes up and and says, let's pray and give thanks and go ahead and, and form a line. And you get to the line, and there we find warm bottles of milk and little jars of Gerber baby food. And and Mickey says, enjoy, enjoy. Dinner has been provided. Would anybody be disappointed? Some of you might be thinking, man, I, I miss that squash. I miss the pumpkin flavored. Yes. Let me ask you a question. Um, baby food. Who is it appropriate for? Babies. Profound, right? Those who are consuming baby food should be babies. Those who just trusted in Christ, who just were born again, their new life in Christ has just begun. That's the kind of person that should be consuming baby food. Solid food, the author of Hebrews says, is for the mature. The end of verse 12, see it again. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Given the choice, baby food, solid food, which would you choose? Every time, right? Why? The flavor, the variety, the nutrients, the provisions. I I had a chance to go out to eat tonight before we gathered. And the meal was not difficult to consume. Delicious. Solid food is for the mature. You have come to need milk and not solid food. I want to ask you the question. Spiritually, what is the appropriate diet for you right now? Rather, what is the actual diet? Not the appropriate diet, but what is your actual diet? And does it correspond, does it correlate well with the time that you have known the Savior? Look at what it says in verse 13. For everyone who only partakes only of milk, what a tragedy, is not accustomed to the word of righteousness. If your only diet spiritually because of your heavy in the ears condition, because you're dull of hearing, is only baby food, You are unfamiliar, not at home with, or accustomed to the word of righteousness. 
Let me ask you this question. Do any of you all have a favorite chair at home? A chair that actually is known as your chair. And there's, I see that hand. There's a chair that is your chair that actually resembles you in some way, shape, or form because the amount of time you have spent in it, making it very accustomed to your person and stature. It's that idea here, my friends. But solid food is for the mature. Excuse me, verse 13. For everyone who partakes only of milk is not what? Is not accustomed to, is not at home with, is not familiar with the word of righteousness. You see, there's benefits here, and we'll see them at the end together. There are benefits, there are benefits to taking time that is God-given and using it wisely and spending it in this book. One of the benefits is solid food is found there. A second benefit is seen in this verse. You're at home with, you're familiar with, you're accustomed to the word of righteousness. True story. I've shared this with some of you over the years in various places. I was home on Christmas break from seminary. And I came to my parents' home. It's the home we now live in. But I was home in Dubuque for Christmas break. And there was a knock on the door. And I went to the door and I noticed it was indeed Jehovah Witnesses. And I thought to myself, here's my opportunity to shred. Here's my opportunity to fillet. Here's my opportunity to take all my learned higher education and training, a Bible college graduate, a seminary student, and just reveal to them the folly of their way in thinking. And so we began conversation. And they started to present their system of belief. And I started to counter with some biblically solid uh, retorts and responses. And we went back and forth, back and forth. And at the end, we decided to disagree, uh, agree to disagree. I closed the door and I thought, you know, I was victorious. What I did not realize at the time is that to my right, there was a case opening. An opening with a partial wall, and around the corner was a chair. And seated in that chair was my father. And he could hear the whole conversation. And he said these words to me. He said, John, I just want to say this to you, an appropriate term for uh, our theme. You snowed them. You snowed them. Anybody know what that expression means? You snowed them. You fooled them. You pulled the, the wool over their eyes. They didn't know what they were talking about, John, but neither did you. That was a humbling experience. But appropriately so, my dad said, listen, you are not quite accustomed to, at home with, the word of righteousness. You see, what's supposed to happen is this. As our 1040s march on, we are supposed to be doing with those 1040s the appropriate thing with this text in this book. So that 
we are dining on solid food. The end of verse 12. So that we are accustomed to the word of righteousness. The end of verse uh, 13. Those are benefits to using time wisely and spending time in God's word. We had a wana at our church back home uh, on Thursday night. A wana. Does anybody know what a wana stands for? Approved workmen are not ashamed. Some of you are familiar with the wana program, right? That that word is taken from what passage of scripture? Exactly. Second Timothy two fifteen. Study to show thyself approved unto God, a workman or a student. That doesn't need to be ashamed. A workman or student who doesn't need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Study to show thyself approved unto God. When we do that, we have God's approval. Study to show thyself approved unto God that the student or workman doesn't need to be ashamed. We don't have to be ashamed in regards to the way we handled the text. I was ashamed that day at the door. We have God's approval. We do not have to be ashamed. We can rightly divide, handle accurately the word of truth. Yes, ma'am. When you knew the word, but what did you do wrong? I didn't know it as well as I thought I knew it. And so my arguments were not solidly based in the text as they should have been. I knew it, but I was not at home with it. That happens time after time after time. So dad was saying... Young grasshopper, you need to be in the book more. You need to study it more. So you don't have, you have God's approval. You don't have to be ashamed. You can rightly divide. I wasn't rightly dividing the word of truth. I wasn't handling accurately the word of truth. That phrase, rightly divide or handle accurately in 2 Timothy 2.15, do you know what it means in the original? This is fantastic. Paul used to make what on the side? What did he do on the side? He made what? Tense, right? And so he'd take a piece of cloth and he didn't have a blueprint or he didn't have directions, but they would make some kind of lines or markings, right? And he would, he would do his best in order for the tent or the, uh, or the whatever they were making out of the cloth to be what it was intended to be. They would, they would do this. Listen to this phrase. They would cut straight. Cut straight. That's what it means to rightly divide. That what, that's what it means to handle accurately. That's what it means to study, to show thyself approved unto God. We have God's approval. A student or a workman who doesn't need to be ashamed at the way in which we're handling the text, who can rightly divide, handle accurately the word of truth. And so Hebrews chapter 5, there's a spiritually frostbit condition known as dull of hearing. Heavy in the ears, where you just don't want to hear anymore, you don't want to learn anymore, you don't want to know anymore, you think you know it all already, you think you are God's gift and you're just fine where you are. And it's a warning, a warning, a warning of the importance of continuing to grow and grow and grow. And so the author is saying time needs to be handled wisely and appropriately. And we need to be in this book. 
I referred to Moody Radio. D.L. Moody had written on the inside of this Bible, this book will keep you from sin, or sin will keep you from this book. I had one of my favorite professors in seminary, Howard Hendricks, used to say to us, dusty Bibles lead to dirty lives. Spurgeon made this statement that when a believer is cut, they ought to bleed Bible. So this warning is all about using our 1440 wisely and continuing to grow, not being dull of hearing, not being heavy in the ears, not being one who, for whatever reason, neglects the God-given time we have and doesn't spend time in his word. Verse 14 says this, but solid food. Oh, that's the good stuff, by the way. End of verse uh, verse 12 says solid food. That can be ours if we use our 1440 wisely and spend time in this book. Not only can we dine on solid food, but we can also be at home with accustomed to the word of righteousness because of familiarity. Because we know it, and we rightly divide, handle accurately, cut it straight. Verse 14 tells us the the missing ingredient here. You want to dine on solid food? You want to be accustomed to the word of righteousness? Do you want to know actually the difference between what is right and wrong in a world that says there is no such thing? Notice what we find in verse 14. But solid food is for the mature. That's the goal. Maturity, progressive sanctification until glorification. That's the goal here. And these believers are being warned. Don't go back and don't be heavy in the ears. Use your time wisely and be in the word. So you can dine on solid food. You can be accustomed to the word of righteousness. 14. But solid food is for the mature. Who because of what? Because of practice. Did somebody have in their translation because of reason of use? Constant use. Because of practice. Because of use. Reason of use. Constant use. If you look, if you had a, an original, uh, a New Testament in the original language, or if you had a New Testament uh, that was transliterated directly from the original language, and there's a word there uh, that's translated uh, a bit so we can read it and understand it, you know what the word would be for practice there? Or uh, constant reasonable use? It's the word gymnasium. It's not the word gymnasium, it's gymnazo or something like that, but it's the word that... Uh, we would use for our word gymnasium. What happens in a gym? Practice, practice, practice. My son has basketball games or practice right now. Over and over and over and over again. We're entering an Olympic year, aren't we? The Olympics are this summer. How many of you can reminisce with me, and I know many of you have no clue of this, unless you've just seen uh, or been told. Uh, how many remember a time where there was a, a broadcaster named Jim McKay on the wide, wide world of sports, right? Jim McKay, wide, wide world of sports. 
And there was this young gymnast named Nadia. Anybody remember Nadia? Right? From where? Romania, right? Um, And Nadia had just nailed in Olympic competition another perfect 10. Perfect 10. Perfect 10. Perfect 10. And Jim McKay, he was excitable. He had enthusiasm. And Jim McKay was ecstatic about this accomplishment. And he was interviewing Nadia. And he said, Nadia, how do you feel? And she was stoic. And she was stayed. And she was uh, emotionless in her expression. And she said, this is what we practice. This is what we do all the time. She was accustomed to it over and over, over and over again. They did a special on the wide, wide world of sports, and they panned away to a a gymnasium, dark and dungy, right? And there was a coach named Bella Caroli. And Bella Caroli ended up being our gymnastics coach for a while, only in America, right? And so Bella Caroli was teaching Nadia and other gymnasts at the time. And you could hear him saying, do it again, do it again. I'm one of those guys that my accent for any ethnicity is the same. I don't care what it is. It sounds the same. So just think of that. Uh, Do it again, do it again, do it over, do it over, do it over. That's how it was natural for her to do a perfect 10. That's how it's natural for somebody to hit the game-winning three or to nail the free throws or to sink the putt because they've done it over and over and over again. Practice, practice, practice. Verse 14 says, But solid food is for the mature who because of practice or reason of use have something to show for it, have their senses trained to tell the difference between what is right and what is wrong. John 8, 30 and 31, the Lord Jesus says, if you abide in my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. There's results of abiding in the word. The results of being in God's gymnasium, if you will, his word, is that our senses know the difference. By reason of use, our senses are trained to say, this is right and this is wrong. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. That doesn't happen through osmosis. That doesn't happen through some kind of microwave or ATM or pill that you take. It happens through Hard work and study. There's a warning here. This is the warning passage. And it says, listen, there's a problem. There's so much that could be said about our great high priest. So much that could be said about the Lord Jesus Christ, our great high priest. We have so much to say, but it's so hard for us to to explain it. So hard for us to get it through to your thick brains because you have heavy ears. You're dull of hearing. 
And the reason for that is the neglect of time. For by this time you ought to be teachers, but instead, because you haven't used the time well in the Word, you've got to go back to grade school and learn again the basics, the elementary principles of the oracles of God. You've got to go back to a diet of milk instead of solid food. When you're drinking only milk in baby food, you're not accustomed to, familiar with, at home with the word of righteousness. But if you get in the gym and if you do it over and over and over again, your senses will be trained and you know the difference between what is right and what is wrong. How can we avoid spiritual frostbite in 2024? How can we avoid being heavy in the ears? How can we avoid being dull of hearing? I'd like to give you seven words, I think. Let me make sure. Seven concepts that will help you remember this passage. I need seven volunteers for Jesus of any age, but not only young people. So I need seven folks, if you're willing to... Come up front. I won't embarrass or humiliate. There's something I like to do at chapel or during my messages, and they're called the motions or the momos. It's just simple motions that help you remember what we're talking about. We're going to start over here, and I'm going to give you all a little motion, a word that will help you uh, remember a pattern we've seen here in the text. Okay? And so this is what I need you to do. This one's easy. This one's easy. You just have to tap on your... Watch, if you will, or where a watch would be if you don't have one. And all you have to say is time. Right? Go ahead. Time. And you can do it over and over again. You just do it a couple times. Time. 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 You all can do it as well. All right? So the first one is, is what? What's the first one? Time. 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 Okay. Here's next. Right? This is not hard. You just have to imagine a, a, a symbol for addition, a plus sign. Okay? So it starts with the word time. And then we say the word plus, not multiply. It has to be plus. Okay. Yeah, there we go. Okay. Start from the beginning. Time. Plus. Okay, here's what we need. We need you to take your hands and and open them up like this. And as you do so, you say truth. Okay? Truth. truth. From the top, all right? Go ahead. Time. Plus. Truth. Okay. This is a multiplication sign. <laughs> and so you come like this and you say, multiply by. Multiply by. Okay? Got that? Multiply by. Let's take it from the top. Multiply by. And this is what I need you to do. And this is perfect for you. You're young and you have all kinds of energy. And so you have to imagine you're running in place and just like that. But as you're doing it, you say this. Practice, practice, practice. Can you do that? Let's go. Go. Perfect. Perfect. All right, that's good. Let's take it from the top. Plus. Multiply by. Practice. Okay. We're coming to an end here. So you take your hands and you point them this direction and you say equals. Equals. You're pointing right again. Equals. Okay. Okay, from the top. Let's go. Let's go. Plus, truth. Multiply by. Practice. 
Okay, here's what, this is perfect. You ready? You have to imagine that you are a potted plant or tree. <laughs> a potted plant or tree. And you have to, you have to grow and flourish. Okay. Okay, so out of your pot, this is the hardest one, I'm sorry. Out of, out of your pot, you have to grow and flourish. And as you're growing and flourishing, you say spiritual maturity. Okay, you got it? Now you have to say spiritual. spiritual maturity. That's right. And here's how we can avoid being heavy in the ears, dull of hearing, spiritually frostbit. Here's the pattern from the top. Time. Plus Multiplied by. Spiritual maturity. We're out of time for tonight. But tomorrow we'll look at another condition, another case, where we see a spiritually frostbit reality and Lord willing on Sunday we'll see uh, some prescriptions that might help us avoid that condition so let's think on these things how can we avoid being spiritually frostbit in 2024 how can we avoid being heavy in the ears dull of hearing time our 1440 time plus truth multiplied by Practice, practice, practice equals spiritual maturity. Did you notice there are three benefits? Benefit number one is solid food. Benefit number two is being at home with the word of righteousness. Benefit number three is discerning between what is right and wrong. There's benefit, there's reward in putting in time in God's gym, his word. Father, help us to see this. Help us not to be dull of hearing for any particular reason. Help us not to have attitudes that are such that we say we already knew that. Or we don't have to learn more. Or I don't want to learn more. I know enough. I'm comfortable. I don't want to spend time practicing what God's Word says. Father, help us to see the benefit, the reward. Help us to see the the fruit of our labor. Help us to realize we can have your approval. We don't have to be ashamed. We can cut straight, rightly divide your word of truth. Help us to see the blessing and the benefit of solid food. That's the appropriate food for adults by measure of years. Solid food. Being accustomed to, at home with, the word of righteousness. And being able to tell in a world that is absolutely gone crazy being able to tell what is right and what is wrong. Your word does that for us. We can know the truth and the truth will set us free. So help us to read your word. Read that book. Keep our finger on the page and cut straight your truth. Help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.